0: Hello, welcome back. This is JC on the You Made New podcast. We're up to episode 10 in season two. Um, And I have been kind of laughing at myself because really, if you look at the topic for today, there's really no rhyme or reason. I'm just jumping around, kind of trying to go with what is on my mind for that week and follow those impressions and promptings. I'm trying to be very spirit led in this podcast. So this one really isn't going to tie in with anything else. We're kind of heading in a new direction. We've talked about a lot of different things um, over the last several episodes, but this one's a big one for me in terms of one simple mind shift. We're talking about the mind in this season and how to have a redeemed mind through Christ to have him rescue our minds from the craziness that we can live in mentally sometimes. And and so this one really is a simple mental shift that has meant everything to me. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that before. When something clicks in your head, just in the simple way you see things in your head, and yet it changes everything, just has a ripple effect that goes and spreads all through into every other part of your life. That's how this is for me. And so this one is a big one. Um, I probably say that every time, but in terms of metanoeo that we talked about in, in season one, the Greek word for repentance in the New Testament, metanoeo, where Christ encourages us, all that word means is to have a change of mind. Adopt a new view is one way to translate that Greek word. And so today we're trying to adopt a new view that will greatly impact, I believe, our journey toward coming to Christ and toward allowing him to f- bring us to a peaceful, restful, um, healed state of mind. So in this uh, discussion today, I'm going to use some very old souls, old, very deep souls that have have um, been profound mentors to me. It's odd where they both come from. There's no connection to the two at all. One is A.W. Tozer, who wrote more than 60 books, a Christian pastor and, and speaker and author back in. The early 1900s. He died actually in 1963. So he's been gone from us for quite a while. But, but his book, especially The Pursuit of God, it is amazing. I think I've quoted from it once already um, throughout the podcast. But we're going to use him a little bit, Tozer. And then my favorite, I know I've used her before too, Hannah Woodall Smith, whose book, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, um, has been foundational for me. Mine is like literally in two pieces. Uh, but she lived in the late 1800s. Taught a lot in England, but also in America and died in um, 1911. So these two people were separated by 50 years in death, had no connection on earth, but they write about the exact same idea in such a way that it just comes together. So we're going to use both. And I may do a bit more reading than I usually do on on this one. I hope you'll bear with me, but let's, let's start with Tozer and let him introduce the idea. What I want to talk about today. We're going to call it the divided life. He says one of the greatest hindrances to internal peace, which the Christian encounters, is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular. As these areas are conceived to exist apart from each other and to be morally and spiritually incompatible, and as we are compelled by the necessities of living to be always crossing back and forth from the one to the other, Our inner lives tend to break up so that we live a divided life instead of a unified one. Now he's going to explain what he's talking about. He says, our trouble springs from the fact that we who follow Christ inhabit at once two worlds, the spiritual and the natural. So as children of Adam, we live our lives on earth and we're subject to limitations of the flesh and the weaknesses and ills to which human nature is heir merely to live among men requires hard years of toil and much care and attention to the things of the world. We have to make a living. We have to take care of our homes and make dinner and all those trivial, um, secular things that, that require are required of us to live in this world. Then he says, in sharp contrast to this is our life in the spirit. There we enjoy another higher kind of life. We're children of God. We possess heavenly status and enjoy intimate fellowship with Christ. This, he says, tends to divide our total life into two departments. We come unconsciously to recognize two sets of actions. So the first, the churchy stuff, these, he says, are performed with a feeling of satisfaction and a firm assurance that they're pleasing to God. These are the sacred acts, and they're usually thought to be prayer and Bible reading and hymn singing and church attendance and other such acts as spring directly from faith. So he says, we're, we're very confident that God loves those things when we do those things. And he's pleased with that. But he says against these sacred acts are the secular ones. They include all the ordinary activities of life, which we all share eating, sleeping, working, looking to the needs of the body. And, and he said, these, we often do reluctantly and with many misgivings, often apologizing to God for what we consider a waste of time and strength. But he said the upshot of this is that we're uneasy most of the time. We go about our common tasks with a feeling of deep frustration, telling ourselves pensively that there's a better day coming, that we shall slough off this earthly shell and be bothered no more with the affairs of this world. Then he concludes this way. This is the old sacred secular antithesis. Most Christians are caught in this trap. They cannot get a satisfactory adjustment between the claims of these two worlds. They try to walk the tightrope between two kingdoms and they find no peace in either. Their strength is reduced, their outlook confused, and their joy is taken from them. So I'm just wondering as I read that, I know it was, it was lengthy, but have you ever felt that divide in your life? I know I definitely did. I remember feeling it most poignantly when I had a bunch of little kids to take, for, take care of of to care for and I wanted so much to be into the spiritual things more and have more time for for God and yet when I had all my young little ones at home I mean it was 24 7 I just could barely breathe the demands were so great and diapers and laundry and making dinner and breaking up fights and parenting and all of its glory but I remember feeling exactly like he said almost apologizing to God that all these things were keeping me away from him because you know, I couldn't get to time with him. and so I needed to have more time to worship and, and more time for, for him and, and felt that that separated me. So there felt, there seemed to be this great gulf between the two year, two worlds, and I couldn't um, really find a way to, to reconcile those. So let's let's go to Hannah. She described it also. And again, remember that she lived in the 1800s. Her speech is so beautifully old-fashioned. I absolutely adore it. I hope you don't mind that I just read it straight. I'm going to try not to reword it too much because I just love how she writes. But she says, uh, let, let's see, where am I going to start? I verily believe a large part of the difficulty lies in the unscriptural and unnatural divorce that has been brought about between our so-called religious life and our so-called temporal life. <laughs> see see what I mean? She's, she's saying the exact same thing Tozer did 50 years later. Um, as if our religion were something apart from ourselves, a sort of outside garment that was to be put on and off according to our circumstances and purposes on Sundays, for instance, and in church, our purpose is to seek God and worship and serve him. And therefore on Sundays, we bring out our religious life and put it on in a suitably solemn manner and live it with a strained gravity and decorum, which deprives it of half its power. But on Mondays, our purpose is to seek our own interests and serve them. And so we bring out the temporal life and put it on with a sense of relief as from a natural bondage and live it with an ease and naturalness and consequently with far more power. Isn't that insightful? I just, I just thought, Oh my gosh, I am a different person in church. I'm more behaved. I'm I'm calm. I'm like, okay, I got to put on the spiritual face. I got to kind of get my, my crazy under control and go to church. And, and I live it, like she said, with a strange gravity, which deprives of half its power. And then on Monday, I feel like, or maybe later Saturday afternoon when the church clothes come off and I'm back home and I feel like I can breathe. And then I bring out the temporal life again and put it on with a sense of relief. Okay. Now I can live in who I really am. There's a disconnect between the two worlds. So this is what she says for. I am very sure that the wide divorce made between things spiritual and things temporal of which I've spoken has done more than almost anything else to hinder a realized interior union with God. It's kept us from him and to put all religion so outside the pale of common life as to make it an almost unattainable thing to the ordinary mass of mankind. Moreover, it has introduced an unnatural constraint and stiltedness into the experience of Christians that seems to shut them out from much of the free, happy, childlike ease that belongs of right to the children of God. I was thinking about this during the quarantine, because again, I'm, I'm recording this during, um, coronavirus quarantine and, and our churches are shut down, our meetings, all our conferences, all of our um, places that we go to worship. Um, and not only can we not go to worshipful places and have those spiritual experiences, but we're a lot of mamas are have their kids at home 24 seven. And so maybe some of our quiet time is reduced our time to have those, um, to pull out the spiritual life, maybe that's limited. And we're, we're just stuck in entertaining kids and getting online schoolwork done. And, and the temporal has almost seemed to take over during quarantine. Like our spiritual is so reduced because we can't go anywhere. And then life at home has become complicated. And, and so we're just stuck in the temporal world. And so if we're divorcing those two parts of our life from each other, like she said, God's just not going to be in it. It's going to be so far from our minds. And we may like, like Tozer said, we may apologize to him and say, I just am so upset that the, all these temporal things are keeping me from time with God. And and so can you see the need for a mind shift here just to flip, flip the switch and look at this differently and how that could change everything. I want you to think for a minute about Jesus's life on the earth the kind of daily in and out life that he had before his ministry began at age 30. If, if the sacred life, the spiritual life was the, the priority and as much time should be spent in that as possible, then surely the son of God should have been born in Jerusalem where he could have been right there where the temple was. He could have been trained under, under Gamaliel, all those other amazing rabbis of the time that trained Paul. I mean, they were, these were the learned men of the scriptures. And, and these boys would go and learn Torah and spend all day and, and, and have the, all of the spiritual education. And, but that's not what Christ's life was like growing up at all. He was a country kid from Nazareth. Like he grew out in the country, grew up out in the country. He didn't get Torah schooling. I mean, I'm sure he got some schooling in his local synagogue. We don't know all the details, but he wasn't raised as a Pharisee's child was to learn the scriptures the same way. I mean, I think he learned them because he was Jesus. But what did his father do? What did his father apprentice him as a carpenter, right? That's what the scriptures say. Of course, I have to have to go on a little tangent. I've been studying lately the word carpenter in the New Testament, really, see, we take our literal um, westernized understanding and think hammers and nails and trees and wood. But in in Israel, wood is a very scarce resource. Stone was the main resource to build. And a carpenter is translated in, in the Greek as a builder or a laborer. So a lot of um, the scholars will say that he was more likely a stonemason and worked with his father on stone um, buildings or whatever. And regardless of wh- what the truth is, He was a laborer. He wasn't in the temple all day, every day. He was growing up learning stonemasonry from his dad. He spent a lot of time in that temporal world. Um, Maybe they went to Jerusalem once a year. That was kind of the tradition, but once a year to go be in the temple. I mean, surely, surely if the, if the sacred life was important, why wasn't Jesus born in Jerusalem to have that kind of upbringing? Why under a stonemason father where, I mean, again, his ministry did not begin till his thirties. So what did he do throughout his twenties? Lots of temporal work. It sounds like building, crafting, laboring. So was there this gulf in his life? Did he have a divorce between the sacred and the secular? And I want to believe with all my heart from some things he says in the New Testament. Absolutely not. Those two worlds were all one and the same for him, which is the point that Hannah and A.W. Tozer both make in their works. There is no divorce between. The only divorce exists in our head when we separate it out and think that God can't be with us in the temporal, only in the spiritual stuff, that it gets too messy and ugly and sinful in the temporal world. So we can't bring him into that. We have to clean up our act a little, then we can go approach him. But then there's that divorce. It brings naturally that divorce that, that these two are talking about. And I don't think that existed for Jesus. You think about John 14, where he describes a very intimate relationship with his father, where he was abiding in him. He says, my father is in me and I in him. They were one. We know that. In uh, John eight, he says, the father hath not left me alone. Like they, yes, he sometimes took time to step away and go have a night of solitude and prayer. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but does that mean when he left the solitude and went back to his apostles and started um, cooking fish for dinner that God wasn't with him? I don't see this separation anymore. I'm starting to see that the Lord can be with us in everything. If you are a mom with a whole flock of kids home, doing homeschooling online and trying to manage all that, if you believe he can't be with you in that, are you going to have the mind of Christ? Are you going to have a mind that's peaceful and sustained? If we think that, that he can only be with us in sacred and spiritual moments, like quote unquote spiritual moments, it's going to divorce our lives of all the power of the power that we need. So can you see the shift that needs to come as we slowly bring Christ into every single moment of our lives? I've talked about this a little bit, but I really wanted to get these quotes, um, out there from these two. So you can see the power of making this shift mentally. So Hannah writes a whole chapter about this actually, but I just want to quote, let's see, where was I going to grab? This is what she, oh, she uses. And I love this. I love this. This is what nails it for me. She goes to John 15 where Christ says, abide in me and I in you. He's telling his disciples before his crucifixion, you have to be in me as a vine, a branch is, is connected to the vine. You have to draw from me every moment or you will not be fruitful. And then he says, in the end, you abide in me for without me, you can do nothing So see, if we compare that, that passage where he says, you abide in me every moment of every day, everything you do has to be fueled by my power. The way that the branch is fueled through the power of the vine, every fruit piece of fruit that grows on that branch comes from the sustenance of the vine. If it was cut off from the vine, no fruit. And so our life, he's saying, you're the same way. You abide in me moment to moment, and you will have my sustenance to grow fruit in your life. Whether you're doing something sacred or something spiritual, it all will come for me for without me. He says in verse five, you can do nothing. You divorce me from that side of your life. You take me out of the temporal and let leave me in the box of the spiritual and you will not be able to have The peace of Christ rest in your mind and heart. So, um, Hannah builds on that and, and she takes that John 15 chapter, those verses specifically. And here's what she says. And this is how we begin to shift to make this mind shift and close this gap. She says, let us believe then that without him, we can literally do nothing. We must believe it for it is true, but let us recognize its truth and act on it from this time forward. Let us make the hearty renunciation of all living apart from Christ. Yes, even the sinful moments. We keep him. We need him in those moments to enable us to rise above that sin. We don't have to hide it from him and wait until we feel like we've got our act together. We need him in every moment. Let us begin from this moment to acknowledge him in all our ways and do everything whatsoever we do as service to him and for his glory, taking care of those babies and getting their online school done is service to his glory and raising them up in his name, teaching them to be responsible adults. It can be done for him. You are in that moment serving God and he can be with you as much in those stay home moments or at work. I mean, I work in a, in a wellness clinic. Some days it does seem divorced from the things that I can be doing that would more promote his kingdom. But as I began to bring him into every moment, How can I, how can I just include him in my day and bring glory to him? No matter what I'm doing, everything changed. So as we do that, depending upon him alone for wisdom, she says, and strength and sweetness and patience and everything else that is necessary for the right accomplishing of all our living. She's what, what we begin to do, sorry, that we must begin to do for his glory and in his strength. That's that which we previously did for self and in self's capacity. So we're shifting now. Let me give you one more big, long quote from her that I just think nails it. I would, I would paraphrase it, but she's just too adorable. I just, I just love her so much. I can't wait to meet her in the next life. So here, she's going to spell it out. Very, very literally. She's going to paint a picture of what it means to bring these two parts of our lives and completely unify them. So she said, as I said before, it is not so much a change of acts that will be necessary as a change of motive and dependence the house will be kept and the children care for and the business transacted perhaps just the same as before but inwardly god will be acknowledged and depended on and served and there will be all the difference between a life lived at ease in the glory of his presence and a life lived painfully and with effort apart from him there will result also from this bringing of god into our affairs a wonderful accession of his divine wisdom in the conduct of them, and a far greater quickness and dispatch in their accomplishment, a surprising increase in the fertility of resource, an ease in apprehending the true nature and bearing of things, and an enlargement on every side that will amaze the hitherto cramped and cabined soul. I mean this literally, she says. I mean. That the house will be kept more nicely and with greater ease. The children will be trained more swiftly. The stockings will be darned more swiftly. The guests will be entertained more comfortably. The bargain will be made more satisfactory. And all life will move with far more sweetness and harmony. For God will be in every moment of it. And where he is all must go well. She's not saying no trials. But he will be there for the sustaining through whatever is happening. As we bring him into the temporal, it will change everything. I got to get this part one more time. When you bring in God into your affairs, into all the temporal side, look what happens. She says a far greater quickness and dispatch in their accomplishment, a surprising increase in your resources, a better ability to apprehend the true nature of things, and an enlargement on every side that will amaze someone that has hitherto been cramped and cabined and stuck and trapped by this divorce in their life. Now here's how she finishes. And it, it finishes with the bang. Moreover, the soul itself in this natural and simple way will acquire such a holy habit of abiding in Christ that at last his presence will become the most real thing in life to our consciousness and habitual Silent and secret conversation with him will be carried on that will yield a continual joy. Whether we're doing dishes, mowing the lawn, driving in traffic, going through things at work, he can be with us. Our minds cannot be healed unless we let him have access to us every moment of every day. We have to close this gap heal this divorce between the sacred and the, and the temporal. It's not just in holy places that you can reach him. Some of our traditions, I come from the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and, and we have beautiful temples as part of our worship and they are absolutely exquisite buildings where the spirit of God dwells. It it is a a gift to be able to walk into those buildings and worship. But I think sometimes we get caught in the fact that I have to be there to fill it. As soon as I walk out and go get a burger on the way home it's over it's over it's gone until i can go back into that building and feel that again and it may be same in your in other denominations where in in moments of worship music or whatever or a powerful sermon or well well that was it for this week i, I you know and we don't bring him home with us we don't we don't bring him into those little moments where he's needed the most so today I just ask a prayer for all of us that we may in our quarantine situation, or if you're listening to this after that's long, long past, whatever you're doing in your temporal world today, invite him in, heal that, that rift. Even if you're kind of embarrassed to have him in some of those moments, maybe you were yelling at the kids (laughs) and you're like, I'm not bringing him into that moment. No, that's, that's where you need to draw on his resources the most. As his presence comes and stays, and as we learn to abide in him, there is going to come into our minds a peace that is very, very hard to describe, but is very real. How I love him. Good luck on your journey. I hope that blesses you today, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.